Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. So welcome to our weekly Catechism class. In the class today, we're going to be looking again at Lord's Day 15, question 37. In our last lesson, we looked at just one aspect of this question. We found that our instructor emphasised that Christ's death was sufficient to blot out the sins of everyone that ever lived, in every age from the beginning of time right until the last day. And yet at the same time, we notice that the scriptures teach us that only those who are chosen and called and converted, those who are convicted of sin and awakened to their need of a saviour, a sovereign work of God alone, would ever repent of their sins and trust Christ. So we hold those two truths in tension, affirming with our catechist and with the three forms of unity that Christ's suffering and death is sufficient for all, but efficient only for God's elect. But question 37 and its answer says much more than this. Let's look at it again. Question 37 says, What do you understand by the word suffered? And the answer we must give is that all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, he bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race, in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the grace of God, righteousness and eternal life. The Catechist's reply raises some very important issues for us about the duration of Christ's suffering. In this study, that's what we're going to think about, the duration of the suffering of Christ. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. When we think about Christ's suffering, we rightly focus on and point to the cross, the place where our Saviour truly suffered and died for sinners, like you and me. We'll consider the depth of that suffering later in the podcast. But it's not surprising that we should focus on the cross. After all, we have good biblical reasons for this. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, The Good News We Almost Forgot, informs us that around one-third of the content of the four Gospels is concerned with Christ's final week on this earth. So the Gospels focus upon the cross, and so do we. And so did the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians, insisting that he would preach nothing other than the cross and Christ crucified upon it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. 
The Apostles' Creed, being taught to us here by our instructor, simply states that Jesus was born, and he died, and he rose again. He was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. The Creed says nothing of his earthly ministry, of his teaching and his miracles. And that's because in such a concise statement of faith, it needs to encapsulate quickly the main purpose of Christ's suffering, which was to redeem sinners. And that brings us right away to the cross. But our instructor would want to remind us that the sufferings of the Saviour were not confined to the closing hours of his earthly life. That suffering began at Bethlehem, and it continued right throughout his life until he was led in the tomb and rose again. When I first preached on this catechism lesson, the visible church was celebrating what they call Christmas. In churches, and perhaps in some schools, there were nativity plays, where children were dressing up as biblical characters. Some churches had erected nativity scenes. Christians were celebrating the birth of Christ, and the world was busy with commercialism and entertainment. And it's all usually very sanitized, very visually attractive with little thought of what a birth in a manger, in a cattle shed, in a backward region would actually involve. But the Catechist helps us to put a totally different perspective on the scene. When he tells us that all the time that Christ lived on this earth, including his birth, he was suffering for us. Now to help us to understand exactly what the Catechism means when it says that all the time he lived on earth he suffered, there's no one better place to explain that for us than the man who was the main author of the Catechism itself, Zacharias Arsenus. And thankfully we do know exactly what he meant when he wrote that line. For Arsenus wrote a detailed commentary on the Catechism, which has an exegesis of every question, along with objections and answers to those objections. In his commentary, Ursinus lists seven ways in which Christ suffered. Here they are. First of all, he suffered in his humiliation. The very act of leaving his kingly throne and laying aside his majesty and coming into this sinful world was an act of suffering. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6 to 7 again, please. I know that we look at this quite often, but it's a very important Christological passage. It tells us there, talking about Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. So the second person of the Trinity, the divine Logos, the one who created the world, the one who sits enthroned in heavenly splendour, adored and worshipped by angels, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, the one who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation. He lowered himself from his highly exalted position to become a servant. The word is Dulu. A slave. Try to imagine, if you can, the extent of that humiliation, the extent of that condescension. The highest, most majestic king in the whole universe, the most glorious monarch ever, becoming a slave and doing it voluntarily for other people. 
he made himself of no reputation. There's one other point that needs to be noted uh, in the condescension of Christ. Because when he humbled himself to become a man, he voluntarily placed himself under the yoke of the law. If you read Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, you'll see that Paul tells us there that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now we are subject to the law because the God who created us has the right to demand our obedience to the law. But Jesus is the creator. He wrote the law. He made it. And yet in his condescension, he subjected himself to the very law that he himself had written. And again, this was a voluntary subjection. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 9, he wrote this, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, and so on. If the law was not made for a righteous man, but was made for sinners, and if Jesus was the only man who was perfectly righteous, then that law was not made for him. It was made for us. And yet, he voluntarily placed himself under the law. So that as he spoke at his baptism, that the law might be fulfilled. Matthew 3 and 15. Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So let's remember the basic point that our instructor is making. That Jesus actually suffered in the act of leaving his kingly throne and laying aside his majesty and eternal blessedness and becoming a man, placing himself under the yoke of the law that he himself had written so that he could, as the perfect sinless man, be our representative on the cross. The second way that Jesus suffered was that he suffered from our fleshly infirmities, our human flesh. And so he became subject to all the ailments and afflictions of humanity. He was hungry and thirsty. He suffered sadness and he wept. The infirmity of our human nature, which Jesus did not suffer, of course, was sin. He never sinned. He never needed to repent. Hence the initial words of John at his baptism, when he said in Matthew 3 and 13, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But when John forbade him, saying, and here's the words, I have need to be baptized of thee, and thou comest to me. The disciples that travelled with Jesus never heard a sinful word, never witnessed a sinful act. And later Peter would testify to this. He wrote in 1 Peter 2 and 22 that Jesus did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Pilate, when condemning Christ to death, said, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. John 19 and 6. But the most important testimony of all, and it could only be said of Christ, is the God who is thrice holy, saying, 
This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew three, seventeen. So Jesus suffered in coming into this world. He suffered in his humiliation. He suffered all the fleshly infirmities that we would have except sin. He suffered extreme want and poverty. Remember that all throughout his earthly ministry, Christ never had a home. He never had a place in this world to call his own. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20 reminds us that Jesus said to his disciples, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. There's a lovely poem that expresses this well for us. They borrowed a bed to lay his head when Christ the Lord came down. They borrowed the ass in the mountain pass for him to ride to town. He borrowed the bread when the crowd he fed on the grassy mountain side. He borrowed the dish of broken fish with which he satisfied. He borrowed a ship in which to sit to teach the multitude. He borrowed a nest in which to rest. He had never a home so rude. He borrowed a room on the way to the tomb, the Passover lamb to eat. They borrowed a cave for him a grave. They borrowed a winding sheet. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The fourth way in which Christ suffered was that he suffered the vile contempt of men. Ursinus puts it like this, infinite injuries, reproaches, calumnies, treacheries, envying, slanders, blasphemies, rejections and contempt. What a summary of woe and suffering. Sometimes on social media I see people bitterly complaining about nasty things or unkind things that have been said about them. They call it hurtful and speak of the mental harm that they've been caused by the words of others. Yet our Saviour has suffered all those terrible insults and attitudes, and he willingly bore all that suffering. Fifthly, he suffered the temptations of the devil. We all know the story of how after his baptism, Jesus was led away by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. At this point in the podcast, it would be good if you could just pause your device or your CD and read Luke's Gospel, Chapter 4. And when you've done that, press the restart button. In Luke, Chapter 4, we see three forms of temptation that Jesus endured in the wilderness. They were hedonism, egoism and materialism. In verse 3 of that chapter, we see hedonism being the temptation. And the devil said unto Jesus, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Hedonism is a desire for the access pleasures of the stomach, or the good life, they might call it nowadays. It includes every sin motivated by a desire for pleasure, whatever the consequences. Gluttony would be an example. Drunkenness. The second temptation was egoism. Verse 5, the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. It's the root sin of all those other sins that involve meism. You know this business of, I have to follow my heart. The people who we describe as narcissists, people who think their life is ever so worth it, it's all about me. And when the devil tempted Jesus, he suffered all those temptations. Hedonism, egoism, materialism. Luke chapter 4 and verse 9. And the devil brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. People talk about getting stuff. The temptation, the sin, that satisfaction in life lies in our possessions. It's the root temptation of all those who desire to find happiness in getting more stuff, in a better job, in more money, in a more impressive house, faster car, the very latest gadgets. It includes covetousness and envy and jealousy. Now, when John, the disciple of Christ, wrote about those sins in 1 John, he warned about the consequences of yielding to those temptations, if unrepented. 1 John 2 and verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Jesus suffered every kind of temptation. These three stated temptations in Luke's Gospel are just a summary of every other temptation that we face and struggle with every single day of life. So in Hebrews chapter 4 and 15, we read, We have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The sixth way in which Jesus suffered is that he suffered the most reproachful and ignominious death. He died on a cruel cross. It was the most awful death that the wicked Romans could devise. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, we read these words. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Let's just pause and let's reflect on the words of Psalm 22, verse 1 to 5. The words are in the study guide, the episode notes for this podcast. Maybe as you read it, maybe as you think about the words, you will lift your own heart in praise to the suffering servant of God our Saviour.
our catechist has taught us that throughout his life, Jesus suffered. He suffered in his humiliation, his coming into this earth. He suffered all the fleshly infirmities that afflict us apart from sin. He suffered extreme want and poverty. He suffered the vile contempt of men. He suffered the temptations of the devil. And he suffered the most reproachful and ignominious death. There is one more to go. He suffered the wrath of God for our sins. For as he died on the cross, God poured out upon his sinless Son all the just punishment that was due for our sins. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 42, Jesus prayed, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. I wonder what cup he was talking about there. In Revelation, when we learn about the final judgment of God upon this sinful world, it is spoken of as a cup, a bitter cup, of which the wicked must drink. In Revelation 14 and verse 10, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It is the just judgment of God upon a sinful and rebellious world. But here's the good news. At Calvary, Jesus drank that cup for us. He drank it all. He drank every little drop. He drank it till it was completely dry. All the bitterness and horror of God's judgment for every sin I ever committed was poured out upon him, and he suffered under the wrath of God for me and for you. First Peter 3 and verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. It was that spiritual suffering on the cross that caused Jesus to cry out in the words of Psalm 22, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yet at that very moment, as the sun was darkened, as God turned his back on his own Son, for God, being righteous, cannot look upon sin, and his Son was made sin for us, he who knew no sin became sin for us. At that very moment, according to Paul, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Second Corinthians 5 and 19. I think it's for that reason that our instructor can say that Christ suffered both in body and in soul. He bore our suffering. He carried it for us. He took the burden of our guilt and our misery and our shame. And he bore it in his body. This world was a lifetime of earthly suffering for Jesus. He suffered at his birth. He suffered rejection and humiliation throughout his life. He suffered from homelessness. He suffered from betrayal and false arrest. He suffered from a rigged, unjust trial. 
He suffered from scourging and mocking. He suffered when the cruel crown of thorns was rammed down upon his head, and he suffered at the cross the awful agony of the most cruel death. He suffered in his body, but he suffered in his soul. And the depths of the suffering of his soul cannot be put in words. Let's see how Isaiah summed up the suffering servant of the Lord. In Isaiah 53, verse 2-3 For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So the suffering of Christ began as the eternal Son of God, leaving the splendour of heaven, entered into this sinful world, born into a humble human family in a backward area of the Middle East, and it continued and intensified as his earthly life continued, and it culminated upon the cross. Well, thank you for joining us for our Catechism class. Come again next week. We continue to look at Lord's Day 15 and we'll ask about the nature and the purpose of Christ's suffering.